So this coming Tuesday marks a year from the start of the church graft here at St. Peter's. So for those of you that don't know what happened a year ago on June 11th, um, we were asked by the bishop um, to come into St. Peter's and to graft essentially three congregations together. So there was the original congregation here of St. Peter's. We had a number of family from a church in central London called St. Mary's who were living in the area and were fed up of commuting centrally to go to church and wanted something local. Those guys came and got involved. And then we had a bunch of 20s and 30s from King's Cross Church, who also lived in the area and were a bit fed up of commuting into the centre and wanted a local church. Those guys got involved. And so a year ago began the melting pot of three churches coming together as one. Now, just out of interest, who was here for that first Sunday? Here, this will be telling. Brilliant. Okay, great. A good amount of us were here for that first Sunday. Um, We haven't lost everyone. That's really good to know. We haven't actually lost everyone. Uh, We do know that. Um, On that first Sunday, I spoke um, from a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 43. And the key line was this. It's where Isaiah says, he's sharing a prophetic vision of what's happening. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. A message from God to the people. See, I am doing a new thing. And the thing I talked about that Sunday was that what God is doing here among us at St. Peter's is new. That means that it doesn't look like St. Peter's of old. So the St. Peter's that we've known, loved and enjoyed for the people who were the original congregation here, it will have an element of that. There will be parts of that, which of course be a core part of the DNA moving forward. But fundamentally, this is a new thing God is doing. Three congregations coming together to form a brand new family. And as such, because the church is made up of the people of the church, it's going to look different because we have lots of new people coming. So we're doing a new thing. There's a new thing happening. For those coming from St. Mary's and from King's Cross Church, it wasn't going to look like the churches that they were involved with in central London. For a start, it wouldn't be half as big. Those churches tend to be attractional churches. But as a result of them wanting something local, this is a new thing that God was doing here at St. Peter's. It's going to look slightly different to what they enjoyed in the central. There'll be elements, a core part of the DNA, because there'll be a reason why those people were going to St. Mary's and King's Cross in the first place. It will become a part of it. But as a whole, as the three parts come together, it will look new. And the problem with things that are new is if you're anything like me, they're slightly uncomfortable. Change, difference is slight. There's some people that love change. Um, They're probably like, most people that say they love change all the time, they're probably lying. Some people love change, but most people actually find it slightly uncomfortable because we tend to get ourselves in habits. Having forming habits tends to be a core part of what it means to be human. We like habits because they feel comfortable, because they feel safe. And in a world that feels chaotic and like everything's coming apart at the scenes, we need these things that feel regular and habitual and safe so that we are able to go out into the world where it feels more chaotic. And so church, where it feels like there's lots of new things going on can feel a little bit unsafe. And so one of the main things I said to all of us who were gathered here a year ago was we need to start to become comfortable with the new and with the change and with the difference. And that's a hard thing to do. And so part of that is bearing with one another in love. Part of that is trying to understand difference in each other. Part of that is actually loving each other unconditionally. And that's why for the good part of like four to six months, really, all we talked about at the early stages of the church was what it means to be a church family. That actually, as a church, we're a family. We're not an organization. We're not a body of believers coming together on Sunday to worship. We're a family. And so as a family, we choose to unconditionally love each other, which means that actually we love each other for how we're presenting ourselves to be at the given moment. 
Not who we want people to be or how we think people should be, but how they're being right now. So as a church, we chose to unconditionally love each other. And then the second part of that statement from Isaiah, see, I'm doing a new thing. Sorry, the first part is this, this idea of seeing. So often in the Bible, um, Jesus and God through the, prophet, the prophets in the Old Testament ask the Lord's people to see what he's doing. And so often it's actually something that we see in the physical that's happening in the supernatural. And so Jesus, a great example, when he's coming down from praying on the mountainside and he decides he wants some disciples, he sees these fishermen on the beach. And in the natural, he's seeing fishermen. But what he calls out to them, because he just spent time praying with God, is, come with me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he turns it on its head and he sees in the natural something on top, which is in the supernatural, which is actually what God is doing. And so what we encourage people to do at that time is to look at the change that we see happening in the church and try and see what God is doing. And then the key is for us as Christians in any um, kind of arena of change where things are changing rapidly is to try and back what the Spirit's doing. So not back what's happening in humanity, not back what we're doing in our own strength. Jesus says that he only does what he sees his Father in heaven doing. And as a church, we've tried to keep to that for the last year, that we only do what we see the Spirit doing. We're trying to actually track the activity of the Spirit as opposed to try and build something in our own strength. And it's only then that we build something that's genuinely Christ-like and that actually looks like heaven on earth, which has been really fun. So... We're a year on. We've had a year, and I'm sure you'll all agree things look incredibly different. Things look very different here at St. Peter's. God has done some amazing things amongst us in the last year, and it really feels like we're starting to come together as a new family here at St. Peter's. Most of the original congregation are still here with us. They've actually managed to weather the change, which actually isn't usual just so we all know. So normally, when there's a church graft of this kind, particularly in the Church of England, often there's an exodus of the original church crowd. That hasn't happened here. And I think that's down to the grace of God and actually down to the maturity of the people that were here in the first place. Because what they've done is they've been able to open their eyes and see what God's doing and back the activity of the Spirit. And that's been hugely encouraging for Hanel and I as we've led the church, but also for all the new people that have come here. And what the old congregation, the original congregation have done is they've developed this stability at the heart of the church that goes back many, many, many years. Some people have been here 30, 40 years, and it means that we're coming into a place that just has this incredible foundation of prayer, but also of following the work of the Holy Spirit. The people from St. Mary's and KXC, the brilliant thing about you guys is you've got stuck right in. You haven't come and started grumbling because it doesn't look anything like the churches you were going to before. You've come and you've just decided to get stuck right in. You haven't decided that you're going to wait until it starts to resemble the kind of church that you want it to be. You've got involved straight away. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you also for making this transition from the attractional central London thing to more of a local thing. I think that is hugely, hugely important. One of the words that we felt like God spoke over this church right at the beginning a year ago was that it was going to resemble a family in which God can place the lonely. There's this amazing psalm where it talks about God setting the lonely in family. And at the time when we started this church, there was loads in the news about this idea that there's a loneliness epidemic, that for the first time ever, the government have appointed a a minister of loneliness, that loneliness amongst millennials, at the time at which we're supposed to be at the prime of our relational life, was a, a huge problem. Uh, and particularly in the NHS, as people suffer from isolation and loneliness. And we believe that church should be the antidote to that. 
And so as a church, we've been focusing on what it means to be family. And then, of course, we have a third group here with us now at St. Peter's, and that's the new crowd that have come in since. People that have been looking for a church that looks a little bit like this church and have come and have enjoyed it and have got involved. And one of the best things I can hear as a church leader of a church is when someone new comes in and after a couple of weeks of participating in the church, they say, I really love this church because it feels like home. That is literally the best thing I can ever hear as the leader of a church because in this church, we are trying to create a home for people. And the reason often it feels like home is because they're coming to a place where the presence of God is. And as we've studied a lot this year and talked about a lot through the Bible and through our different series, actually we're all created to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when we come into an atmosphere of the presence of God, it feels like we're coming home because something that was missing before is now being found. And so as a result, we've come together as one and it's been hugely, hugely encouraging. And so the common question I get asked now particularly as we're at the point we're at as a church, the most common question is how can I get involved? How can I actually contribute to what's happening here at St. Peter's? And I think that's a normal question to ask, particularly of something that's exciting and that's dynamic and that's moving and that we're seeing God do things. So many people come in and they say, I really want to get involved. How can I get involved? And I think this is a really, really good thing to be asking in this church at this time, because I think what's happening now as we look into year two of the church is we're going to start maturing as a church. It's felt like we spent a year um, getting to know each other. We spent a year trying to form one family from these three groups, but also from the new people coming in. And now as we look into the coming year, and the year tends to take the cycle of um, September onwards um, in church life, as we look into the coming academic year, how can we start to mature as a church? And the key question to ask as we mature as a church is how can I get involved? How can I get involved? What can I do to contribute because the point that we see in our passage this morning is that a mature church is a church in the hands of the people. So a mature church isn't a church that's really large but has a large staff team and everything that happens up here is laid on for everybody and you come on Sunday and you just enjoy it. Those churches are brilliant and they do a different thing. It's particularly in a city like London, it's very important to have churches like that but they tend to be incredibly transient. They tend to turn over every one to two to three years and the congregation looks entirely different and that is the nature of London but we're in a place here in London where we don't have to do that. We can actually build something that's a little bit more sustainable and that has a little bit of a longevity about it in terms of our relationships. And so therefore, a mature church for us has to be in the hands of the people. It's not about us growing as big as we possibly can so we can afford more staff team so that then we can lay on a better church for everyone. Actually, the purpose of a mature church, particularly as Paul is talking about here in Ephesians, is a church where we're all contributing. So back to our um, series in Acts, if you remember... When we talked about the explosion of the early church, there's this great glimpse into what the early church actually spent their time doing. And one of the key things they spent their time doing was this word koinonia, which is essentially participating in the whole. And the idea was they were giving their lives to everything that was happening in the church community. And so therefore, it's right to be asking the question, how can I get involved? How can I contribute to what God's doing here at church? And so I think a good way of framing this question and the issue of us all getting involved in this being a mature church where it is genuinely in the hands of the people is this passage in Ephesians. 
So Ephesians, if you've ever read it, um, is one of those amazing letters where it's written for everyone. So it's not just written to church leaders, it's written to the whole of the church. And it was known as a little bit like a universal declaration of what church and Christianity is about. So the first four chapters is basically what our identity is in Christ, what it feels like when you become a Christian and all of the amazing inheritance that we have as Christians. And then from um, chapter four onwards, it's this practical application. So what does that look like? like in the lives of the believers. And the the letter to the Ephesians literally would have been written out and copied and taken around all the churches in the early church scene. So this would have been read aloud. And the reason it would have been read aloud to all of the churches was it wasn't tied to a particular context. So it wasn't tied to a particular issue in one of the early churches. Like in Corinth, it was chaos, absolute spiritual chaos, relational chaos. And so Paul's writing to that church to address specific situations. But here, the letter to the Ephesians is more of a universal declaration of what it means to be a Christian and what it looks like to be a church. And so therefore, this passage is for all of us here. It's not just for the leaders of the church. It's not just for a particular type of church. It's for all churches. It has a universal application. And so we're just going to, it's going to be a little bit different this morning. We're just going to go through it and it'll be a bit more like normal teaching as opposed to um, speaking in ways that we've been used to previously. We're just going to go through it and see what God has to say to us in it. So verse one. Thank you, Joel. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so remember, this is to all of us, not just the leaders of the church. And that word calling is this Greek word, kalesis, um, which is very different to other words that Paul uses in other letters. So um, in the other letters, there's lots of lists of gifts. And so he speaks to the church and says, basically, God will give gifts to different people in the church so that the church is built up and so that it resembles the body of Christ. This word here is very different to the gifts that we have in 1 Corinthians 12, for example, or in Romans 12, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of kindness and acts of service. This is incredibly different because this is more about calling. That word kalesis is about our ministry as the people of God in church. And so every single person in this room has a kalesis, has a calling, has a ministry on their life. And it's not something that's given to you by God at a particular time for a particular person. It's something that's almost innate to you, that feels like it's a part of your DNA. And so we're all given this calling. And the best way of thinking about it, the best way I've heard it put, is it's a bit like someone whose calling is to build houses. So someone's calling is to build houses. What they do is they build houses. They're a builder. They go out and they build houses. But on their tool belt, they have lots of different tools that they use in order to be able to build the house. The tool belt is the gifts of the Spirit. So healing, prophecy, deliverance, and then kindness, the acts of service that we read about in Romans 12. But the calling remains the same, no matter what they're doing throughout their life. They have this ministry. There's a way that they've been wired that blesses the church and makes it grow into maturity and the thing about calling is everybody in this room has a different calling to everybody else and so that means that it makes church incredibly complicated because there's a clash of all these different types of calling and people and I think Paul knew about this in fact he probably experienced it so that's why he writes this next bit this next section is all about unity so he says this be completely humble and gentle be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
What's the point of that statement? So Paul starts out by saying we each have these different callings. Basically he's saying, be who you're called to be, but whatever you do, make sure that everyone else in the church, you let them be who they're called to be. The purpose of church isn't just to make lots of the same type of person. The purpose of church is to be diverse in our unity together. It's unity on the person of Jesus. In verse 7, it says this, but to each one of us. Now, that word literally means to every single one of us. It's not, it's not just the leaders. Paul's not just talking to the leaders of the church. He's talking to us as the body of the church. Every single believer in the church, grace has been given to us as Christ as a portion to it. What does he mean by that? He means that a part of Jesus' calling, and by the way, the callings that we're going to look at in a second, Jesus embodied all of them. A part of Jesus' calling is given to each and every one of us in this room so that we can become the body of Christ, so that we can be a church that's actually mature and doesn't just look like one part of Jesus' ministry, but actually looks like the entirety of Jesus' ministry. This is why it says, verse 8, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to many people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. We'll come back to that concept in a second at the end. So, and this is the gifts, the callings that we're talking about, that kalesis, this ministry that are supposed to be a part of the church so that it's mature. He says, so Christ gave himself, gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that's the fivefold ministry. Now, whether it's an exclusive list or not, actually we don't really know because the implication is with a lot of the gifts, the list of the gifts of the Spirit, it's not exclusive and there's lots of gifts. Whether there's other ministries, there might be. But these are probably the five main callings that we need to see expressed in our church so that we're a mature body, so that we actually resemble Jesus's calling, Jesus's own ministry on earth. So we're going to go through them one by one. And as we go through them, why don't you try and think to yourself, which one of these am I? Which one of these really brings me alive? Which one of these do I absolutely love? So apostles. What are the apostles about? Well, apostles were basically named as such because they had had an experience of the living Jesus. They'd been one of Jesus' followers. So Paul himself designates himself as an apostle because Jesus appears to him in a vision. And so apostles tend to be all about the presence of heaven, the presence of Jesus on earth. Everything they do tends to be driven by this idea that things aren't as it's supposed to be on earth and we need to pray for heaven to come down and fill the earth. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he teaches his disciples to pray. He says the first thing you should pray is that, um, our Father in heaven, how be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the apostolic gifting, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what apostles are primarily concerned with, that we see heaven on earth. Now, I don't know if you remember, um, we spoke about it a number of times, but this idea that there's a, there's a grand narrative to the Bible. And there's loads of different themes in the Bible. You can trace tons of themes through the Bible. But one of the main themes in the Bible is this idea that God is bringing heaven back to earth. That heaven and earth were never supposed to be two separate places. 
The reason it's two separate places is because of Genesis 2, where we read about um, the sin of humanity that almost prizes heaven and earth apart, that creates this distance between God and his people. And the story of the Bible is a continual process of God bringing these two realities back into one again. Because the whole point of the biblical narrative is that heaven and earth are to be married and to become unified and become one again which is why we read at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, this picture that John gives us of what it's supposed to be like, that God is gonna come and he will be fully present with his people and there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering. Things will be as it was always supposed to be. That's one of the grand narratives of the Bible. Apostles tend to be concerned with that and that alone. They tend to be primarily concerned with seeing heaven on earth. And um, prophets, basically prophets tend to um, adopt a similar approach to church. Their calling in church is very similar, but they tend to see it in terms of a perspective of heaven. So prophets tend to be about seeing and hearing what the Spirit is saying to a particular community. Now, um, prophets often aren't um, kind of The ministry of the prophets isn't necessarily always valued in church, particularly these days, partly because often it's quite odd. Um, Prophets tend to spend a lot of time praying. They spend a lot of time seeking God for what the Spirit's saying for a particular community. It tends to come out in weird and wonderful ways. They tend to talk about angels a lot. They tend to share prophecies about the church a lot. They tend to speak a lot about what it feels like going on in the spiritual realm above our heads, which most of us, as we live in our own human nature, tend to not understand or want to understand, and quite frankly, it weirds us out. But prophets are possibly one of the most important callings in our church because it's through the prophets that we see what God is actually doing in our church and we can follow the activity of the Holy Spirit. Just this week, um, I had someone email me and they said that they just had a dream about the church and they want to share it with me. And that usually means one of two things. Either Sometimes it means someone wants to rebuke us because we're doing something wrong. Or it means there's a prophet among us and they're dreaming about the church and actually God's given them something for the church. Now, the reason I think it was the latter this time was because that very morning, my Bible study in the morning was all about valuing the prophets in our church, okay? Literally five minutes after I just had that time of studying the Bible and that being the theme of what I read, Five minutes later, I get an email from someone who I think probably is a prophet now, I'm sure is a prophet, saying, I've just had a dream about church, I want to come and share it with you. She wrote it down, she came back and spoke to me later, and she spoke into a number of things that she couldn't have possibly known about this church, and she hit them on the head. And one of the things she said, which is partly why I'm sharing what I'm sharing this morning, is it feels like... As, as leaders of the church, you want to start getting out there and doing this stuff in the community. But what I feel like God is saying is we're not ready yet. We're actually not ready to do that because there's a process of maturing that needs to happen before we can go outside and do what we feel like God's called us to do. And I think that is on the money for us. Because I think the temptation right now is if we were to just start saying, okay, let's go. Let's get out there. It's time to start blessing Broccoli, the southeast, London, with what we feel like God's doing in here. We're going to get out there and engage in mission. I think that probably the problem of that is we'll get out there and we probably won't know what we're doing. And partly what we're inviting them into will be a place of not really knowing what we're doing because it needs a mature body in order to be able to take the people that come in when we start going out so that we can build build up into the family. So prophets tend to see what's happening in the spiritual realm kind of over the church and they tend to speak into that and then we as the leaders of the church have to weigh it and decide what we feel like God's saying. 
Thirdly, there's the evangelists. Now, the evangelists don't tend to like Christians. If you hate Christians and you hate church, you're probably an evangelist, not a mature evangelist. Mature evangelists love Christians. They love the church. But in general, evangelists, basically, they can't stand the fact that we spend so much of our time sitting in here in the church talking about nothing when there's all those people out there who don't know about Jesus. We need to be out there talking to people about Jesus. Evangelists are so, so important so that we can become a mature church because all we'll do, particularly in London, if we don't have any evangelists in our midst or if we're not prioritizing evangelism, is we'll just facilitate the huge transfer growth that's going on amongst Christians in the church in London. And it works in London because there's so many people coming into London week in, week out. So many Christians coming in that the churches are built up and they can actually get away with looking like they're building the church when actually all they're doing is they're shuffling Christians around from one church to another, particularly Christians that have come into London. And so evangelists are incredibly important for us as a church so that we have genuine activity and mission of the Holy Spirit, so that we genuinely see people come to faith in Jesus and join our family. So the evangelist, people need to meet Jesus. The pastor tends to be along the lines of people need to become more like Jesus. So the pastor tends to be focused in here, tends to be focused on the people in the church, tends to be um, about the building up and the discipleship of the people of the church. Now, in the past, the pastor tend to have got a bad rap, particularly in our kind of type of charismatic church, because they're seen as the person that's just really nice. Just like the nice Christian, which is always nice, always asking people how they're doing, like basically becoming codependent with a bunch of people in the church and then burning themselves out and then blaming the church and getting bitter about the church. That is not a mature pastor. A mature pastor basically sees where people need love and need affirmation and need help and calls them into the people they're created to be. It's probably one of the most exciting gifts and callings in the church. Because pastors are going around, they're looking at people, and they're looking at the brokenness of people, but they're saying, that is not who you're created to be. As you read the letter to the church in Ephesus, you realize that Paul again and again and again keeps saying to the people that he's writing it to, you need to live as children of the light. Like you've, been inherit, you've inherited all these amazing things because you've become a Christian. But in order to actually grow into the body, to grow into maturity, to become the people you're called to be, you need to start living as children of the light. And pastors help us do that. They help us to actually move in our discipleship so that we're constantly becoming more like Jesus. And then finally, we have the teacher. And the teacher tends to be concerned with the Bible, with the Word of God, tends to be concerned with the truth basically always thinks they're right. If you know someone that always thinks they're right, they make a very good teacher. But that, again, is an immature version of the teacher. What a teacher really does is a teacher unpacks the Bible so that it is relevant to us today. The Bible is the closest source we have to the person of Jesus. This whole thing is about Jesus. The whole point of Christianity is we're to get to know Jesus, we start to become like Jesus, and we start to do the stuff that Jesus did. That is church. And actually, church is just about encouraging each other to do that. The, the teacher looks at the closest source we have to the person of Jesus, particularly in the, boss, the Gospels, and helps us unpack it. Actually takes us back into line when we start veering off into our own weird and wonderful ways of thinking we're being like Jesus when actually all we're doing is we're entertaining our own strangeness. It just brings us back into line the whole time with the biblical truth and who we're supposed to be. Okay, so that's verse 11. Unity and diversity, verse 12. Why, why, basically, why do we need all these callings in our church? It's to equip the people for the works of service so that... 
the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and this is the key, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, part of the reason we need to become mature as a body of believers is for this second part. So from verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed about back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Why do we need all five of those callings, those ministries in our church? It's so that we can become stable and steady. So that we don't get blown back and forth by all sorts of different things. In, particularly now in a context where it feels like there's so much uncertainty out there. We need this in our church so that when we go out, we're going out from a secure base. We're going out from a place that genuinely feels like, looks like, acts like the body of Jesus, which encapsulates all five of these ministries not just one of them. If we have a church that's just full of evangelists, all we really have is a huge revolving back door. We'll have tons of people becoming Christians. It'll be really good fun. There'll be loads of brokenness. It'll be chaos. Probably our safeguarding officer will have, uh, have to basically be full-time on our church staff to deal with it all, but it'll be straight out the back door again as people realize, actually, there's nothing here that's gonna make me grow into the person I'm called to be. If we have a church basically led by um, a prophet or full of prophets, it's just going to get weird and wacky. It's going to be completely incomprehensible. It's going to have no relevance to man or beast out there coming in. They'll come in, they'll go, this is odd. I don't understand what you're doing. I have no idea what this means to my life. If we have a church just basically run by teachers, it's going to be very heavy on teaching the word of God, but it's going to feel like there's not much life going on. It's going to feel like it's actually not what we see Jesus doing, which is show and tell. So he shows everyone first and then he talks to them about it, which is the teaching bit, it's just going to be the tell bit. And we're telling about something that's not actually happening or happened 2,000 years ago. And people are coming and they'll think this is irrelevant. Like this happened 2,000 years ago. It's meaningless. It's not happening now. If we have a church just led by and full of pastors, then we're just going to have a church that feels really safe and really comfortable. It's going to be lovely for a generation until we all die and then no one will have joined us. If we have a church full of apostles, all we're going to care about is the miracles. We're just going to care about the signs. We're just going to care about the point of signs is they point to something, which is Jesus, to become like Jesus, to start doing the stuff that Jesus did. We need the teachers. We need the pastors. We need the prophets to help us do that. We can't just rely on the apostles. That is why we need maturity. So what can we do as a church in response to this? First thing we can do, if you consider yourself, by the way, I forgot to say, if you're a new Christian, you can totally ignore this. Just be here, participate, consume, don't worry about it. If you're just checking us out or if you're not a Christian at all, just ignore this. You can just be here and hopefully this feels like a safe place where you can actually explore what church is about, what Jesus is about. But if you're here and you consider yourself a part of the family here at St. Peter's, there's a couple of things I think you can do. Firstly, find out what your ministry is. Find out your calling. Are you a pastor? Are you a prophet? Are you an evangelist? Are you an apostle? Are you a teacher? The best way I think you can find out what your ministry or your calling is, is when, spend a week, and hopefully you're all spending time with God in your week every day, spend a week auditing what you feel like you spend most of your time doing when you're doing your quiet time with God. 
So if you spend most of your time when you're doing your quiet time, essentially thinking about the needs of people around you, thinking about your friends who are hurting, who are broken right now, thinking about those people and praying about the people around you that feel like they're hurting, then you're probably a pastor. Because that's what drives you. It's what's driving your quiet time with God. If in your quiet time with God, you spend the whole time thinking about friends in your life who don't know Jesus and how you're going to somehow introduce them to Jesus and you're going to pray about them becoming Christians, you're going to pray for opportunities to speak to them about Jesus, you're probably an evangelist. If in your quiet time you feel like you've not had a good, a good quiet time really until you've encountered the presence of God, until it literally feels like you've had this own personal revival in your quiet time, you're probably an apostle probably all you really care about. You care mostly about the presence of God. And for the apostles, it's all about spending time in worship and soaking themselves in the presence of God so that it's contagious here in the church. If in your quiet time, you spend most of your time seeking a word from God for someone else, for yourself or for the church, then you're probably a prophet. Because the win for you in your quiet time is that you get a word from God and that you're able to point to what God's actually saying to us as a church. If in your quiet time you spend the whole time studying the Bible and reading about all the Greek words and geeking out on every single thing in a little passage you're reading about, you're probably a teacher. And it's really good. We need teachers in this church. It's really, really important. But you just need to, basically, the whole point of this is we can cope as a church. We can become mature as a church if all of these um, anointed, all of these ministries are supported and encouraged in our body. That's how we become mature. As soon as the evangelist says to the pastor, you're useless because all you care about is loving people and becoming codependent, then we've lost. That's not the point. The whole point is each of the ministries, each of the callings is supposed to be calling out what's good in the other people in the church so that we get mature. So find out what your calling is. Secondly, ask God to start giving you opportunity to live out your calling in this church. So how am I actually going to live this out? How am I going to bless St. Peter's as a result of what I feel like I'm called to do? For the apostles, and the, there's a few easy things you can do. Just some very basic things you can do. Apostles and prophets, could you please prioritize the prayer meeting on Wednesday? If you feel like you're an apostle, if you feel like you're prophetic and you're a prophet, prioritize the time that we pray in the week, which is Wednesday night at 7.30. All we do is we seek first the kingdom of God. We don't do a shopping list of prayers. It's not about writing about everything we need to pray for. We literally seek the presence of God for our church and the word of God for our church. If that drives you, if you love that, could you come? Because we need you. We need you in that group so that it feels like we're actually engaging in the supernatural. And we're bringing heaven to earth in our community. If you're a pastor, then start looking. This isn't going to be hard at all. Start looking around you. Where's the need? Who needs help? Like, if you're a pastor, you'll be the one who notices that somebody hasn't been here for a couple of weeks. See, the problem is, as a church, we're at a size now where we don't notice when people haven't been here for a while. When we were 50, it was easy. In fact, I could do it. I could just text someone and say, I haven't seen you for a while. Is everything okay? At this point, when we're normally on Sunday getting 110, 120 adults, it's impossible to know who's here and who's not here. So the pastors among us, have your eyes open. Text people, see how they're doing. Start engaging with the needs of people. When you're praying for someone up front and they've shared something that's going on in their life, follow up with them. That's what pastors do. Like it's really important that people feel loved and they feel called into who they're called to be. Evangelist, if you're here and you're an evangelist, can I just ask, we're at the point in the life course where it's starting to get fun. 
Um, if you don't know what the life course is, the life course is something we put on for people exploring meaning. And we're about to have week three, which happens this coming Wednesday. Now, this coming Wednesday, we're talking about Jesus. This is where the whole thing turns on its head. So we spent time talking about science, agnosticism, atheism. We talked generally about meaning. Week three is where the money is. That's where we start talking about what Christians believe overarching meaning is, the embodiment of the person of Jesus and giving our life to Jesus. If you're an evangelist, why don't you just come? We've actually got a ton of non-Christians. Well, not a ton, a bunch of non-Christians come into the life course. It will be fun for you if you're an evangelist. You'll really enjoy it. But also from that, in the autumn term, we're going to start thinking about how we can do more evangelism over and above the part of a course. Because if we do it as a course, that basically is the opposite to what we're trying to talk about here. It's not becoming mature as a body. It's all engaging. It's basically you bringing people to a course and the course converts people, which is useless long term. Teachers, if you love reading the Bible, if you get lots of brilliant things out of the Bible, why don't you start meeting with people who are either new to faith or actually don't have a clue what's in the Bible. You'll be surprised. There'll be tons of us, me included. You'll be people that actually there's so much in the Bible that you can get from the Bible. Why don't we start setting up little groups where we can read the Bible together? Like the best way to read the Bible is in community, like with each other, as opposed to just doing it on your own and getting very confused. So teachers, why don't we just become aware of other people who might want to do that? Finally, what will it look like if we all start doing this? Just want to draw your attention to verse 13 there. Um, it says this, until we reach unity in the faith, until all of these ministries are expressed in our church, and until we become mature in that way, we will then become the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole point of a mature church is that we represent the body of Jesus, that we become the fullness of Christ on the earth. In Ephesians 1 verse 23, Paul puts it like this. He says, God appointed Jesus the head over everything for the church, which is his body. So this is the point of the church. This is him saying it again, same thing. The fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. The more mature we get as a church, the more we'll start filling. We'll start spilling out of the doors. We'll start filling everything in every way. See, the best thing about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was they enjoyed this marriage of heaven and earth. They were as it was supposed to be. They were there. They're, the thing that they forgot to do, the thing that they were supposed to do, which they didn't, which meant that the fall came and humanity fell and heaven and earth were ripped apart again, was they didn't expand what they enjoyed in the Garden of Eden out into the world. The whole point was it was supposed to be an expanding presence of God there in that place. And that's what we see time and time again. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed that grows. It's like yeast that works throughout the dough. The whole point is as we become more mature as a church, it will literally start bursting out of this church, but not until we become, start becoming mature and we start committing to being mature in this place. Hope that makes sense. Let's stand.